Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzello, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business leaders increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at the number 2, sbdigest.com, in our magazine, which you can download from our website or by RSS feed. You can also subscribe for a print copy of our bi-monthly magazine by going to our website. Small Business Digest comes to you as a weekly newsletter at the number 2, sbdigest.com. I'm really pleased to be here today because uh, I have been involved with communications for many years. In fact, I helped on the first live broadcast from Saigon for Huntley Brinkley. For your, you younger listeners, at that time it was the highest rated news program in the nation. But uh, also our communications were much more difficult. In fact, we had to bounce a, uh, between two satellites in order to get the live feed. That's changed considerably today. Over the years, I've seen many changes in the media world, not not the least of which is the Internet. When our next guest invited me onto his show, Cycles, at Blog Talk Radio, I was amazed at the ease of producing a radio program that anyone could listen to around the world. In fact, I thought it was so good as a possible channel for Small Business Digest we started this program. David Katzmeyer is a true pioneer of this rapidly expanding world. I wanted to bring him onto today's program because a radio program like this could be a terrific marketing tool for any company. David, welcome to our broadcast today. Thank you, Don. Thank you. First off, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to Blog Talk Radio. Well, it started with my company, The Web Elves, at thewebelves.com, where I do web design and development for clients. As a result, I was constantly having to move into new things to meet demands of clients that would tell me what they wanted to do, and it became my job to find out how to do it. Added to that is some of the clients that I have are in media themselves, based right here in New York. And I was able to see their production schedules of how they got the word out through various forms of media, and I had to integrate that into my site. Some of my clients are themselves involved with uh, television and in radio, and one prominent client from A Better World, uh, Mitchell Rabin himself, is on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, his site is blogtalkradio.com forward slash a better world. So it was my job to build a website for him and do the whole production line of getting the word out. And I realized how effective that was. I began to set up my own blog talk radio to get the word out on my advocation and my work, and it worked. Well, for my, first, my first question is, why do a blog talk radio program? If you want a versatile media that you can do on a recurring basis and have far-reaching effects, without spending large money on advertising. You can get a very modest-priced account at Blog Talk Radio, do your own venue, your own scheduling, and have your guests on as you will. I recommend that try that because when you do that, Blog Talk Radio, well, I'm not just plugging Blog Talk Radio. Internet radio, per se, is a a venue that allows you to be not only on the air live, but it allows you to have archives and to syndicate with RSS feeds 
be able to post audio files subsequent to a program on your various websites and link that and integrate it into your social networks. And it's a very simple thing to do. And they make the tools ready for you. It's like driving an automatic transmission. Well, you know, small business uh, leaders have uh, difficulty making this transition on the on the web. Uh, every new, every new uh, offering on the web, which makes it simpler, still still for them is very reluctant. Just how easy is Blog Talk Radio? Well, first of all, I would like to say that Young made the statement that sometimes we have to differentiate beyond our comfort zone. And once you make the decision that you're going to do that, then you find out how easy it is. And it's an irony when people are daunted to not try something that will actually make it easier for you. I've felt that many times in my business, and I've learned that I had to just surpass that, give it a go. Blog Talk Radio and other radio stations, BBS Radio and other Internet radio stations that you can use, um, make it very simple because when you log in, they want it to be easy for you. If not, people aren't going to do it. You just basically fill in the blanks, set it up, they ask the questions, you give the answers, you don't have to pave the roads. Well, uh, I'm a small business. Let's say I, I sell widgets. What type of program would I do that will attract uh, listeners and also ma- make a good venue to sell my products? You know, the production model that I copied is from A Better World, which you can find at abetterworld.tv. And uh, I set this up on my own site. We have a weekly schedule that goes like this. We send out a weekly newsletter to announce an upcoming guest. Now, if you're selling widgets, you're going to be talking about people that are in the field of widgets, maybe maybe a distributor, somebody who does marketing for you, somebody who is a consumer analyst, and what have you. You bring these on related to your program, and you're getting the word out every time. Okay, so we ask people to subscribe to our newsletter. We send it out upcoming. This is the show. We make a post about the upcoming show on the website. We also make a post about the upcoming show on the Blog Talk Radio website. Now we have two posts, and there's an advantage of that. This post you make on your site, depending on your tools, you can syndicate out to your social networks, have it go out to your Twitter, to your Facebook, and what have you. Then, on Blog Talk Radio, where you also post the program, you're going to have the advantage of the internal search engines of Blog Talk Radio. People go to Blog Talk Radio even if they don't know your show, and they'll look at what's live now, and they'll browse the various categories and look for shows in the category of their interest. I have found ready-made listeners came to me uh, beyond what I drove early on, and it grew from there, and I picked up new people. Well, um, uh, uh, what should a program consist of? Uh, the president of the company talking about his product or uh, information or someone outside expert or someone else talking about information that would be of value to the listener? Well, I find that the format needs more consistency than the subjective element of who you have. So uh, they have guidelines that suggest how you can do your opening presentation, Um, How long are you going to do your introductory music? Make it less than a minute, probably no more than 30 seconds. And all of these guidelines, very helpful, are born from experience because there have been many, many listeners on Blog Talk Radio, for instance, and on other Internet radio stations. So you don't have to go trial and error and figure it out. Follow the format. Maybe take uh, a commercial break here and there if you're going to do it because if you want to upload your own pre-recorded commercials, you can do that, take a break, and click a button. It plays. You're back on the show. All of these tools are made easy. Well, we're, we're talking about easy, but uh, we're talking about a weekly or monthly time commitment. Oh, by the way, let's start with that one question. <clears throat> Should a show be weekly or monthly? I recommend weekly. One of the things that they are teaching at the Search Engine Strategies Conference being held in New York this days after this program, uh, will tell you that YouTube successes have certain ingredients, and one of them is a periodicity, a consistency that people know that you're returning at a certain time, and they know to find you, and they will actually come back looking for you. So you build up listener loyalty if you have the proper frequency and periodic consistency. 
But isn't it true that a lot of it come you archive the program and people listen to it at their convenience? This is a very important element of why you can get a lot of listeners. Every program that you do is automatically archived. It's archived when people go to your blog talk channel, such as blogtalkradio.com forward slash small business digest. You'll if you go when the show is live, you can listen live, but then you'll see a list of upcoming programs, and an archive of all shows that have gone before. You can pull them up anytime and listen to it at will. Also, the archives that are there are audio files that one can download and then re-upload to one's own website. So if you have a different client base going to your website as well, you're reaching out to a new group of listeners. Well, that's a very key point. Uh, some some uh, small business leaders would, n- would not want uh, to send uh, their customers to another site. So you can keep keep them on your site by uploading the program. But doesn't that use up a lot of your bandwidth? Well, these days there's a lot of uh, web hosting providers that allow unlimited bandwidth for dollars a month. And uh, the cost of bandwidth is not like it used to be. And there's various big companies out there. There's one in onecom HostGator.com, very inexpensively, 5 $6 a month, and you can get huge bandwidth. But let's go back to uh, content, which is a very important part of radio. But what about should a small business leader hire a professional announcer? Uh, what should they do? A professional announcer can be a good idea. But there's also an innocence and a spontaneity that uh, is not bad either. This is an era of reality TV, and you can also have reality radio. And, yeah, seek to be more professional in everything that you do, but just be yourself, and people will will accept that. Well, that's an interesting point because uh, once – uh, advantage small businesses have is that personal touch, which is the, uh, the people that they are. So let's talk about that for a moment. Should someone uh, who's a small business leader try to find someone within the organization that uh, perhaps uh, is in theatrics or something uh, to be the host moderator? In my opinion, yes. I do not presume to speak for every organization and business that would be out there, but with the clients that I've worked with and that I know, yes, absolutely, you're going to want to work in-house. Bring somebody that really knows because um, we don't need a facade. We don't need a professional face and announcer. Uh, Do you want to listen to a weatherman or a meteorologist? Well, if you get somebody in-house, they're telling you the weather from a meteorologist. You know, you got the point there. Well, how would uh, a small business leader measure the success of a radio program? Ratings. That's another great advantage. Um, In the case of Blog Talk Radio and other programs out there, uh, you get statistics on how many listens you have on each program. It's great to follow that. Uh, Well, I noticed our own program, we started quite recently, and the numbers have been really spectacular, and we thank our listeners for that. But let's go now back to content, which I believe that whatever you provide to your listeners should be of benefit to them, not benefit to you. What do you think about that? Yes, and you're going to have to hone your skills a little bit on this because this is not a live audience like standing up on a stage where you have the advantage of reading to your audience and getting an interactive statement response sort of thing. Uh, Stand-up comics rely on this, you know. Uh, but, you know, mentioning stand-up comics, somebody I know who is an award-winning uh, video producer uh, had recommended to me when I started doing blog talk radio, he said, you want to learn how to talk? Bring up YouTube and watch some stand-up comics. You're not doing comedy, but they know how to deliver because there's a matter of how you use your voice, the inflection, and so forth. So you want to think about the format, the program, have a preconceived idea, even if you want to make an outline and think about how long is your program and where you are in the progress as the show goes on. Well, do you recommend the 30-minute or hour program for a small business? Hour. Easy. It is surprising. Guests come on my show, and before they're on, they say, how long is the program? And I say, an hour. Pregnant pause there, and they're going, how am I going to talk for an hour? And then I go on to say, that hour goes by like five minutes, and it does. 
Well, um, let's talk, uh, again, I keep coming back to content because uh, as a small business leader, uh, going into a new media like this, there is trepidation. How, how many guests should be on a program? I would limit it to two. Now, you can have special programs where you're going to have many more. That's fine. But in a one-hour program, I think that each guest should be allocated at least 30 minutes. Of course, there's going to be exceptions. Uh, but by the time you get done doing the announcing, you get your questions in, and they answer. You introduce the next guest. A segment of time goes by very quickly. Well, let's talk about scripting for a moment. Could you give a sample of an idea of how you would script a, a one-hour program for a small business? An outline and then wing it. Uh, is my personal preference, and I'm not recommending to anybody that my personal preference is the right way to go, but I like the interaction and the spontaneity. If you know the objective of the conversation, um, it's just I don't script everything I'm saying except maybe the introduction, just what I want to say, not how. Well, um, I know uh, I, I like to have three people on my program only because of the short uh, 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 the short spontaneity of it. But, uh, to, for instance, today we're just having two, you and uh, uh, someone else. But um, uh, lining up guests, that is another problem uh, many uh, small business leaders. They, the, should they be... Um, uh, limiting it to their customers? Should they be limiting it to their suppliers? How do you go about lining up guests? That is going to really determine what your business is. I have people that like to talk about social issues and uh, clients that do environmental programs. Um, I have a program on blogtalkradio.com forward slash cycles that talks about the cycles of history. It is my life's work. It is one of the major reasons why I'm doing a radio program. And so what you're doing is going to determine what is the scope and the limitation of what you're doing. You asked me about selling widgets. Well, in the case of selling widgets... Uh, well, let me interrupt you. Sure. For, for those that don't know, widgets were originally designed for uh, clipper ships to help them uh, uh, keep the, uh, their sails taut and to increase speeds. They are, they are no longer manufactured in the United States except uh, under a different name for, for uh, high, uh, high American Cup-type sailing. So, uh, yeah. Just think about it in terms of what's in it for me, for the listener. We know what we want to say, but we have to think about what does the listener want to hear and where do you want to funnel them towards in a concept. Um, you've always got to take the listener's point of view, case in point person goes in for a job interview, they're usually eager to discuss what their skills are and what they can do, and they make the mistake of overlooking, focusing, what does the employer want? Think, what does the listener want? Well, uh, let's take a break here for a moment to uh, have a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with David Katzmeyer. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2HSA.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2HSA.com. That's 2HSA.com. We're back uh, now with Dave Katzmeyer, and we're, we're talking about how blog, having a radio program can help a small business generate additional profits through through added marketing. Dave, um, let's let's talk. Uh, I keep coming back to it because let's talk about the uh, technical aspects. Can you go through a little bit of how Blog Talk Radio works? And by the way, we're using Blog Talk as it's here, but there are other services as well. It's rather simple. It's uh, almost as simple as uh, just using a word processor. You log into your program. You have uh, you can set it up that your program is going to air every week at a certain time. If you want to say this is a continuous program, you do that. Now. 
it'll automatically generate the, a post for each week at that time. And you look far in the future on your calendar, and there's your program set every week right there. Well, that's one. But now let's go into the studio. Um, let's talk a little bit about this fascinating uh, studio uh, management that you do right at your computer, right here at, uh, at your desk. Some nice advantages. You know, once you've uh, selected your guest, you cut and paste a description um, for your guests, for your vi visitors to read, particular to that week, to that show, and you click to upload their picture. All right, so now you've got a post. You can do that for every show of every week, and then you can add a show on any other day of the week. Okay, now it's airtime. You've got your post. You've got your guest. It's time to go on. You simply call in through a telephone, or you can Skype in through your computer, and you're in your studio panel for the program. Everything that you want to do is what you see is what you get. It's right there in front of you, a how to control the show. Uh, you will see the telephone number that you can announce for people to call in. And when they call in, you'll see uh, little segments come up showing the telephone number of the incoming caller, and you can click to make any caller heard, or you can click to mute them, or even click to disconnect them at will. Well, okay, now... Uh one other thing, uh, if, if you don't want to do your program live, you can also do it uh, tape, uh, tape beforehand and edit it out anything you want. Am I right? That's quite right. When you do a program, you have the option of selecting whether it's public or private. And if it's private, people will go to your channel and they don't see it while you're recording. And then it becomes an audio file that you can then load into a future date, and it will play just as if it were live. But one thing I learned, uh, somebody has to be there at the future date uh, to make sure it goes live. You do. You have to log in at the time that the program is going to air, and when you get into your control panel that we're talking about, there you will see uh, a link for your recording that you uploaded for that show, your pre-recorded show, and then you click and make it play. And that's a nice feature too, Don, because not only that, since you can have files uploaded that you click and play at will while you're on the air, you can even make pre-recorded little messages. You can have advertisements. You can sell advertising. Say, you want to be on the show? We'll do a one-minute commercial, 30 seconds for you. There you see your audio files, and you say, we're going to take a break. You click, it plays, and then you go back to your show. Well, the other nice thing is your um, a guest does not have to be there with you. He or she can call in. Tell Anywhere in the world. Talk a little bit more about that. It's a great convenience. I've had guests that uh, have called in from across the United States, and I've also had guests that I have Skyped in New Zealand and uh, Australia. Simply, uh, no long-distance phone call needed. I Skype into the program as a host, connect with them via Skype, and there we are talking automatically. It's really great. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, another... Uh, aspect of, of uh, uh, radio. Uh, r radio is very much of an oral type of media, but what should one look for in uh, as a host, as a small business host, in terms of uh, voice for the program? I mean, selecting a person that's going to be their talker yes. and everything. Someone that's easy to understand. <laughs> Clear, expressive. And people appreciate that, you know, because monotone puts people to sleep. Nothing puts people to sleep faster than just going on and being monotone. Be expressive. Don't be afraid to be expressive. What happens if you have a guest that comes on that's in a monotone? How do you handle that? I go into the interrogative. I come in with questions here and there. Sooner or later, you're going to hit something that strikes a note with them. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and if they're going on in a long spiel, I just come in and with a question and take it from there. <laughs> uh, we talk about this this often. Uh, uh, if you've been been to a show or to a conference and you've got a speaker like that, you can walk out. Uh, but if you're the person sponsoring and you've got an hour to fill, what do you do? You politely interrupt, and uh, you have 
have to do that, you know, because you don't have the visual effect of people in the back row looking at their watches repeatedly, shaking them to see if they're still working, or maybe setting the trash can on fire. <laughs> You've got to take that into consideration, and don't let the guests run the program. It's your show. You have a format, maybe even made an outline. You're conscious of where you are. You're looking at your counter, t- telling you how many minutes are left in this show. Think about it. Think about it in quarters. Know where you are and step in. Well, um, what about going to a local college and finding a uh, a, a media major and ha- having him or her uh, do the program? What do you think about that idea? In my opinion, that's a good thing. There's no substitute for experience. And when you're getting the benefit of those who are learned, I think it's going to be a great thing. But it all comes down to this. Uh, you, you can have as many instructions as you want about riding a bicycle. You'll know it when you do it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about promoting your program. What are some of the tricks that you've learned over the years for promoting a program? By using the integrated Web 2.0. You can't be static anymore, and you can't just put a post somewhere and say, if we post it, they will come. It doesn't work that way. You want to be live, interactive, and you want to constantly be adding new content. So you have the interconnected wheel of post on your website, post on blog talk radio, send it out to your social networks, get it out on your Twitter, back it up with a newsletter, and be sending these out every week. Setting up a a production schedule like that is not necessarily as complicated as it may sound. Work with your webmaster and keep that content fresh. If you were developing a program, total package for some small business, how, what, could you go through the steps for doing doing it? What, you know, where do you start? Uh, first, you have to make a decision. Obviously, do you want to do something like this? And really, and are there any payback to you for doing such a thing? The payback is going to be traffic. What you do with the traffic, it will be up to you. Are you going to get conversions from your traffic that they're going to click through? They're going to make the purchases for your products or your call you for your services. That's all up to you. But what it does do is give you a great way of having more spokes leading to the center of the wheel. And then you can use that to bring in the traffic to you. So uh, basically it's the coordination. The radio station, your website, connect it to the social media, back it up with a newsletter, and know how to work them all together. Dave, you've really given us a great deal of information. Thank you, Dave, for a very interesting meeting. Thank you, Don. Can you give us uh, your, your website again? My website for web development and design is thewebelves.com. T-H-E-W-E-B-E-L-V-S.com. My website for Colorhythms, the cycles of change, the cycles of history, is Colorhythms, K-A-L-A-R-H-Y-T-H-M-S.org. You can listen to my radio program, The Cycles of Change, on Blog Talk Radio every Thursday night, 8 p.m. New York time, 5 p.m. Pacific, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash cycles. You can find my article on how Internet radio helps small business grow at 2sbdigest.com forward slash blog hyphen talk hyphen radio and look for my article in the next published edition of small business digest thank you now uh, a word from our sponsor and then we have another fascinating guest right afterwards stay with us many small businesses purchase supplies equipment other needs through local stores to save money on many of these purchases consider deem.com This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business, and it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M.com. Again, D-E-E-M.com for all your small business needs. We're back live today, and our next guest is someone I've known for many years and modeled at his uncanny ability to identify organizational needs and improve employee efforts. Mike Vescoso has been instrumental in reorganizing such companies as Frito-Lay, Kellogg, Dell Computers, American West Airlines, and Harcourt Brace. He is a no-nonsense organizational guru. Welcome to the show, Mike. Mike, you hold a doctor and have been a senior executive 
and in top corporations. Tell us a, a bit about your background. Well, the way I would describe myself is I'm an organizational psychologist and management consultant who has uh, both corporate uh, experience at the C-level as well as management uh, consulting experience, uh, particularly in the area of restructurings, downsizings, productivity initiatives with some of the largest companies in America. You hold a doctorate. Yes, in, in uh, psychology. Okay. Mike, um, um, our, our listeners are primarily small business <coughs> leaders. But what what do you think of the issues you think confront organizations today? Well, I think uh, the way my view of organizations, Don, it doesn't matter if you're a large one or a small one. Uh, obviously, the scope of the issues you have to face are different depending on your size. But the uh, the problems and the way to uh, a framework that I like to think about uh, when looking at a problem in an organization is that. Basically, an organization is made up of problems that have to be solved, and um, these have to do with what the solution side of things. So no matter what the issue is, someone has to come out up with a solution. That, that could be an internal uh, person or it could be an external consultant, but it's installing a solution to an, an issue or a problem. The far more important side, though, is to get benefit realization from that solution one has to deal with the people side of things in the organization. So you have the solution side and the people side. And the people side means no matter how uh, good the solution is, if the people do not engage with the solution and uh, implement it as it was intended to be implemented, you don't get the full benefit realization from it. So from my perspective, I focus a lot on the what I call the core people processes in an organization, and those those processes are um, selecting and hiring talent, onboarding that talent, and assimilating that talent, managing and rewarding performance, identifying uh, and retaining the talent that you hire over time. And then working with the fifth process is working with the finance department to make sure that you're, you're planning your next year's uh, or two's workforce in line with the budgeting so that you're not just budgeting a financial number, you're budgeting the people implications of that financial number. So those core processes, selecting and acquiring, onboarding and assimilating, managing and rewarding, identifying and developing and retaining, and then workforce planning are problems that have to be solved in every corporation, no matter how small or how large. So that's when I do a diagnosis in a company, I try to look at how do they implement um, each of those processes. And I have yet to work in a company that implements them all successfully some are better at some than others, and some are better at all of them uh, than others. But there's always room for improvement in those five processes. Well, as a small business outlet, small businesses often can't plan ahead as much as larger corporations. Do you have any suggestions for them about how they can do it internally? Well, I think those processes I've just described are basic planning processes in an organization. It doesn't matter if you have uh, 50 people or 5,000 people. So if you can't find the time to do that, uh, I'm not sure, quite sure um, what it is you're trying to do. But let me give you an example. So on the first process in terms of selecting and acquiring talent, there's two ways you can do that, I'm just contrasting ways. You can, you can hire people... Um, by just the, the hiring manager makes the decision, no one else is involved. So you're you're really depending on the skill of that hiring manager to hire someone. And then what criteria is that hiring manager um, using? We, you know, we don't know because it's in that person's head. So it's kind of an individual uh, by hiring manager kind of process. And there's a lot of error in that kind of process. And once you start somebody that shouldn't have been hired, 
you're just putting a chain reaction of problems in uh, throughout that person's career. If you get lucky, it'll work out, if, but in most cases, it doesn't work out. And you have turnover and all the expenses of that. The other way to do that might be, well, you have a criteria for hiring people. You have a team of people that hire that person. It could be one, uh, it could be two persons, three persons, but it isn't just the hiring manager themselves. And they're all working from the same uh, playbook. So they have some kind of criteria. Usually it's a competency model of some sort that they're trying to figure out how to hire a person um, that will best fit in the company and in that job. And then it's a rigorous interview. It's based on um, some criteria that's been objectified. And there's a debriefing after the uh, interviews uh, w along with the hiring team to make sure that there's agreement that this is the kind of person they think could do the job and that they can fit in the company. Give you an example. Southwest Airlines spends a lot of time on hiring flight attendants. And once they're hired, that's only the first phase of it. They've got almost like, I think, a six-month probation period that they really watch the person to make sure they're a good fit for the company. So I think for a small business, um, the best thing is to spend some time objectifying the hiring process and trying to make as few mistakes as possible in hiring someone. That's good advice. Uh, small businesses oftentimes don't go through that process, and uh, much uh, the impact of a poor hire in a small business is, is higher uh, is greater than in a, a large corporation because it affects uh, it proportionally higher. Let's talk a little bit uh, the changing demographics of the workforce today. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know. The way I look at this, Don, I don't really, I, I, you know, there certainly are differences, right? I mean, uh, from when we got hired and the kind of companies we worked in, we're very hierarchical. You kind of were given a job, you were given a job description, and kind of you did it, and your manager, you had many managers looking at your work and that kind of stuff, and if problems occurred, you just asked your manager to fix it, and they did. You know, then when uh, global competition came in and, uh downsizings, delayerings, wanting more employees to be engaged in what they did and not depend on their managers to solve problems. The workforce has changed, but I would say the most important changes have been really how do you engage an employee to really want to take ownership for their jobs? And um, to me, that's the important difference. I know they talk about the uh, the new generation and XYZ and whatever other kind of alphabet you want to put on it. But, you know, basically uh, some research was done at Harvard many years ago to talk about, you know, what is it that makes over the course of a career a person be able to contribute very highly to a company's success and their own success as opposed to the normal performance curve, which goes up, flattens out, and starts to decline over time. And uh, basically, uh, they came up with a stages of a person's career, and they had four of them. I just, for your question, I just want to focus on three of them. You come into a court organization, and you're kind of learning the ropes. That's stage one. You're in a dependent role. You know you are. You're trying to figure out how things get done in the company. There's a lot of people helping you onboard and learn how things get done. So your challenge is to move from that stage and to build some credibility so you can move into stage two. Stage two is um, being an individual contributor. This is where you start to build your expertise for business, whatever that is. It could be marketing, sales, um, HR, it doesn't matter. But it takes about 10 years to really build an expertise um, in a business skill. And, and that stage two, um, your, home, your challenge is to really build that expertise, build credibility, get things done to be a good performer. The third stage, uh, which many people transition to but don't make the psychological transition, is getting work done through other people. And by that, I don't necessarily mean a manager's job, but learning to use what you know to leverage the performance of other people to get results. 
And you don't have to be a manager to do that, but you have to have stage three, kind of what they call stage three kind of skills. So you're not worrying about your own performance. You're worrying about, you know, how do I, how do I help other people become experts? How do I help other people develop and grow their expertise? How do I build a team? How do I coach this team? That kind of thing. So those three stages, learning the ropes, becoming an individual contributor, and contributing through others, those are critical in any corporation over time, and they haven't changed. Those stages have not changed, and it doesn't matter if you're Generation X, Generation Y. You have to go through those transitions. And if you think back to uh, the GE days when hundreds of thousands of managers in the early 90s uh, were laid off across all companies, uh, it was people that were in stage three jobs, but they were still performing as individual contributors. Because, you know, nobody told them that done. When you got promoted to manager from your first individual contributor role, did anybody tell you how to do that? You either sunk or swim. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. But now there's a lot of um, uh, data out there and a lot of resources out there to help people make that stage two to stage three transition. And I think it's particularly important in a small company where there are a lot of stage two people uh, who get things done. But at some point, if that company is going to really grow, they have to be able to transition some of those uh, strong individual contributors into stage three kinds of skills. So I never, really, I never pay attention to uh, Generation X, Y, Z. I just stay with the simple basics of, you know, what does it mean to get something done in a company? What does it mean to uh, lead in a company? So those, those are the kinds of things that I mean. It's, uh, give an example. One of the wisest things I've ever learned, and I learned it you know, after many failures, because if you want to remain a top contributor, you have to change the way you contribute over the course of your career. The same skills and behaviors and approaches that make you a star early in your career won't guarantee you continued fame and fortune as the years pass. If you remember the work of Morgan McCall from the Center for Creative Leadership, it's your strengths that become derailers over time because it's the inappropriate continuing of a strength uh, when it's not appropriate and that's what it's that's to me you know if I want to change my if I want to be a high contributor all the time I always have to be aware of what is the new role what is the new situation calling for from me to be successful in it you know that's fascinating Mike because small business leaders uh, particularly uh, owners of companies have to make that transition as well and, and yes. a, a lot of them don't. How do you think exactly. a small business like an owner <laughs> can go about making that transition, going from being the leader to getting other people to do things? Well, I've worked with in Silicon Valley, so I have uh, full experience with this. And, and my experience has been uh, in a lot of companies, there's obviously some successful ones like Google and, and others, but in a lot of the founder never makes the transition. Uh, they brought some expertise to market that made their company uh, successful initially. And then um, they remain the expert. They make all the decisions. They micromanage everything that's going on in the company. And in those situations, the company really, you know, it may get to a couple hundred million dollars, but it doesn't seem to grow beyond that. And so it takes a lot of self-awareness um, on the part of the CEO or the founder to realize, you know, maybe it's time I put a professional management team in place to help me make the next transition in my organizational life cycle. Uh, and, and, and those are the people that are very, very good at doing that, reach the most success. Think about Dell, Michael Dell. You know, he made computers in his bathtub. Then he started a company, he was successful online, and then he really wanted to grow the company, but he didn't really know how. He was he was an entrepreneur. He was very smart. Uh, he figured out a great system. So what did he do? He went and found the, one of the best manufacturing managers from Motorola. He went and found uh, a, a Bain consultant, and the company grew to $30 billion. 
because he was self-aware enough to realize he needed a different kind of leadership that he could not provide. Um, and then, obviously, with that leadership, he grew himself and developed himself over time to be much more competent as a leader in a company. So I would say the biggest challenge for a, a CEO is to understand if, they, if, they're, if their company's not growing, you know, what is it about, what am I doing that I can change uh, to help this company grow? That's fascinating advice and information. What about, Mike, if you're a, a leader, and how can you recognize that you need this help? Are there any ideas, concepts, or stra- uh, uh, tips that indicate to you that uh, it's time for you to get different help? Well, uh, I think that's a pretty broad question, but I, you know, there's, there's certainly seek feedback would be one of my answers. All right, you can get feedback in many different ways. You can talk to people. You can uh, have people complete a, a, a feedback instrument, 360 instrument, to get feedback about your management style and your uh, skills as a manager. So uh, there's many ways to do that, but the, the biggest thing is to being open to the feedback and using that feedback to change. I worked with a senior uh, leader at Dell who was one of the best leaders that I've ever worked for. And it was surprisingly, he told me that when earlier in his career, he was an awful manager. And uh, he had a lot of turnover. Uh, he was micromanaging people. He was the expert. And then um, when he realized that there was a problem, he started talking to people. And he started seeking advice. He got some consulting help. He got a coach. He did other kinds of many different things. But one of the things that he realized was, if I want to get something done, I, I can only do so much as an individual, whether I'm a manager or not. But if, but if, like, I think the way he said it was, if I don't show up, the work gets done. If I hire the right people and they don't show up, nothing gets done. So it made him realize, what can I do to help my people be successful? And he spent a lot of time um, focused on coaching and developing and training the people he worked with to make them as strong as possible. And it, the results uh, spoke for themselves in his career. Let me let me just tell you something that's interesting. There's, a long time ago, somebody showed me this. and Basically, there's six questions that a manager and an employee have to continually ask each other. Usually, it's employee initiative, initiated. But it can be manager-initiated if the manager's uh, proactive and uh, a good leader. And they're simple questions. Because an employee, the first question an employee wants to know is, what am I accountable for? And the manager then has to take that question, clarify that person's role, clarify their individual accountabilities, ensure that they understand what it is that they're accountable for and what results that they're on the line for. The second question is, from an employee's perspective, okay, I'm clear on my role and what I'm accountable for. How am I doing? That's the second question. He's asking for, or she's asking for feedback. So the good manager is going to provide performance and coaching and developmental feedback to that question. The third question is, that may sound a little odd, but it, it, it really isn't. The employee says, okay, I know my role. I know what I'm accountable for. I've gotten feedback on I know how I'm doing but I'm a person. Does anybody really care about me as a person? Uh, you know, and, and that kind of a question, the manager has to respond to it by saying, you know, this is an individual who has needs and concerns. Am I aware of what those needs and concerns are so I can, I can um, relate to this person and build a relationship? The fourth question is more organizational. The employee says, okay, how do we contribute? You know, what is our organization unit doing? And that's where the manager's response has to be, communicate work unit goals, communicate uh, what role that work unit plays, what progress um, they add to what the company's trying to do. So it gives the the individuals in that unit a sense of identity. Um, And then the next question is, in the big picture, you know, where do we fit in? And that's, you know, what's the company try to do? How do all the different uh, functions in a company or business units in a company? So it's giving the big organizational picture 
to that work unit employee. And then I think the most important question, because employees that are really engaged want this question answered, how can I contribute more? How can I be more um, helpful in helping this company be successful? And that's where the, the organization has the responsibility to, to provide channels for employees to give feedback, give input, uh, work on projects. So those six questions, what am I accountable for? How am I doing? Does anybody care? How do we contribute? Where do we fit in? And how can I contribute more? Those questions are iterative, and they have to be answered over and over again and asked over and over again as an employee or a manager goes through their career. To me, that's the essence of, of good, effective leadership. That is terrific, Mike. We're running a little short on time. Mike, if uh, our, re our listeners want to contact you, how can they do it? Uh, you can contact me on my email, mike.vescuso at gmail.com. That's mike.vescuso, V for Victor, E for Edward, S for uh, Sam, C for Charlie, U for Under. S-O. S for Sam, and O for October, Mike Vescuso, who I've known for many years and I've watched him do a terrific job for some major corporations. Mike, we really thank you for, for being with us today. All right, Don. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. We break for another commercial, and we'll be right back. Each hour, we try to bring a special tip to our small business listeners from an expert. Today's comes from Dr. Kenneth E. Lair, a nationally known economist and someone that Small Business Digest has turned to in the past. He warns us that in today's uncertain economy, small businesses should conserve as much cash as possible. Cash will be king, Dr. Lair says, this year as the uncertainty continues in our economy and in our government. Try to keep as much as possible, negotiate uh, longer terms for payments, improve your accounts receivable collections, do not spend unless you need to. Above all, Dr. Lehrer says, stay cautious. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at dmazella at is-incorp.com. That's D for Donald, M-A-Z-Z-E-L-L-A at is hyphen Incorp.com. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web at the number 2, sbdigest.com. Our ma magazine can be downloaded from the website onto any electronic device or by RSS feed. You can also subscribe for a print copy by going to our website. Until next time, this is Don Mazzella. And this is Small Business Radio. Have a good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.